Hey guys, it's Alan and Leon. Welcome to episode 9 of Seize the Moment Podcast. And by the way, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. By the way, if you guys want to follow us and see more videos, go to our YouTube, click on the subscribe button, and make sure to click on that little uh, bell and you'll get notifications every time one of our episodes comes up. Yes. <laughs> and today we're going to talk to you and to each other mm-hmm. about imposter syndrome. And the prevalence of it. Yes. And so Leon recently wrote an article about imposter syndrome. Yes. So before that article, believe it or not, I didn't know what imposter syndrome is. Wow. What is imposter syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> so imposter syndrome is this sort of prevalent belief that a lot of us have, especially people who are kind of in academia, that they are essentially frauds, that all of their sort of merits and all their accomplishments don't actually mean anything because they were attained in some sort of fraudulent way without any particular evidence of it. And so they believe that in some sort of way, that not only did they deceive the rest of the world, especially the experts in the field, but there will be some point where they're actually going to be found out. So what, they just automatically think that they're an imposter? Like they don't deserve to be where they are? It's not so much that it's automatic. So, well, yes. So in a sense, you are right. It's just, it's not the whole picture of it. So it's automatically yes in the sense that it does sort of pop off, right? Like the negative automatic thought. Uh But it's not automatic in the sense of it just comes out of thin air, which is kind of the way I interpret it. Not sure if you meant it that way. No, that's fair. I yeah. mean, I did say automatic. Yeah, that could imply a, a lot. Yeah, because so. I was thinking like automatic without cause or just automatic in the sense of like, yes, it just happens without one's volition. But the answer is yes. So it does happen without one's volition, but not an obviously automatic in the sense that it comes from nowhere. Mm-hmm. So like before we even did this uh, show, yeah. I was actually looking up what is imposter syndrome, listening to like some TED Talks and stuff like that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, just to, you know, prepare. I like, that. I had to prepare for you guys. I had to prepare, you know. <laughs> a little bit. You're more prepared than I am. <laughs> you wrote an article about it. Yeah, well, I'm an imposter, so. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, yeah, so I actually saw that it's not restricted just to uh, high achievers. Imposter yeah. syndrome is something that's like a very universal feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, according to what I uh, saw, that 70% of people supposedly oh, wow. experience it. Um, I would like for anyone watching this, of course, to look that up. Mm-hmm. Don't just take my word for it. Uh, yeah. I could be an authority figure, but maybe I'm not, you know? Well, and, and that's imposter syndrome right there. Well, was I, it, I had a joke. Was this in the general population that it was having you? Um, I believe it's the general population, wow. but yeah, don't don't quote me on it. Yeah, no, please. Uh, yeah. I actually wouldn't be surprised if the number is that high, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely did say that most people experience it. Yeah. And um, I, honestly, from hearing what it is, I've definitely had it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say while doing this podcast, it's like we talk about, uh, you know, how the mind works, mental health, philosophy, um, and other topics, of course, that we, we you know, we'll talk about. Uh, abortion we'll talk about yeah. uh, all sorts of things but not to go off on a tangent mm-hmm. here um, I like how I only mentioned abortion <laughs> but whatever uh, yeah so there are times that we've uh, talked on certain topics that um, even though I would be aware of them and I would have things to say about them there were times when like we'd have a guest on and I felt like at a loss for words like I wasn't somebody who is even on the level of the people who I'm talking with, yep. right? And to be able to have a back and forth with them. Mm-hmm. Even though, um, for example, with uh, our recent guest, mm-hmm. uh, Jamie, yeah. Jamie Lombardo. Yeah. Lombardi. Um, wow, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Jamie Lombardi. Uh, I'm sure me. she'll forgive you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah. So in our conversation, uh, there there were, uh, for example, there was that Epictetus quote uh, yep. that you mentioned um, relating to how uh, how when we the way we value women, uh, we value them like kind of as uh, this is a big paraphrase, right. uh, but we value them as kind of like objects, and we never uh, value their their inner gifts, yep. and those tend to. Uh, atrophy mm -hmm. uh, because we don't uh, value them right. and um, I, yeah I wanted to say something uh, during that conversation which was uh, oh imagine the the gifts uh, or the inventions that we were deprived of because we didn't I'm, value stuff like like you know some uh, woman's inner gifts I'm so happy you remember that I'm so happy you remember that yeah T tell them why what why? happened after the show um, I told you what yeah. I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like, to be honest, I on one level I felt like um, I couldn't have a back and forth, so maybe that's why I didn't say that piece. Mm -hmm. But then I also considered that it, the, because of the flow of the conversation, it just seemed like I would have derailed it for one comment just to sound like, mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, ima imagine all the gifts <laughs> that we would have been deprived. It's a true statement, and it, it, I meant it. It's yeah. true. But also at the same time, I don't know, uh, because I didn't feel like an expert on the subject, mm -hmm. I just didn't say it. Yeah. But what's interesting is if I did say it, and you thought this also, you're like, if you said that, it's possible mm -hmm. that that would have been a good contribution. And being that for most of that episode, <laughs> I didn't say much, uh, which is fine. Right. That's fine. Um, yeah, I, I could have contributed like that at least. Mm -hmm. But, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and other times too. I mean, have you ever felt like you had imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think all the time. For real? So, I mean, it's so obviously kind of in my blog for, you know, some of you people who do read it. So essentially I talk about my own kind of struggles with mental health. And a lot of them stem from, or I don't know if necessarily stem from, but I guess they're sort of associated with feeling like an imposter and like I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, so kind of just... And I kind of tend to do this, and I don't mean to do this, but I do think it is. Actually, I do mean to do it. But I think it's very important in terms of sort of the context of it. So you asked before, like, you know, or sort of you made the statement that it seems to come out of nowhere. And so, again, you know, we go back to the negative thinking patterns. So it actually does come from somewhere important. And a lot of the times where it does come from is our sort of, ex like, exuberant and excessively high expectations for ourselves. So mm -hmm. it's sort of very black and white, where we kind of view ourselves and the world in the context of, like, let's say there are smart people and there are dumb people. So if I'm one of the smart, intelligent people, then that means in terms of, let's say, not being a fraud or of being competent or smart or gifted or, you know, kind of however you want to conceptualize it. Mm. What that means is essentially that I have to be smart in every relevant context, right? So it's like if, let's say, I'm smart, then I have to be smart in every area of learning. So what that means is that whenever I'm in a particular area that I can learn something and I want to learn something, I have to actually have a quick grasp, a quick grasp of the topic. And then I also have to understand all of it. So the idea idea is essentially when we when it comes to sort of being an imposter is that it's unlivable right we can't really live up to it mm. and so you can kind of look into the field and sort of all of these different geniuses and so Daniel Dennett is one of them and I think he's a really good example and I'm like not answering your question at all no, no, it's okay. uh, <laughs> I'm gonna definitely I'm, I'm gonna definitely get back to you, but I just think the foundation for it is really yeah. important so Daniel Dennett is this cognitive scientist well technically cognitive philosopher and so Daniel Dennett is a genius like he has an insanely high IQ right I, I don't know what it is but I imagine it's somewhere in the 160s. So yeah, he's a genius. So literally wrote one of the most foundational books in the sort of field of, I guess, 
modern philosophy. And so Dennett would say, like, look, there are times when I go into lectures and I really have no idea what the hell they're talking about. And, like, this guy's a genius. So, and the thing is, so, like, most of us, when we go into, let's say, any field of academia, we'd be lucky if we were experts in literally anything. So, like, if I can consider myself to be an expert in, let's say, psychology or psychotherapy, I'm like, that's pretty fucking amazing because mm -hmm. there are very few people who can be that. This guy's literally an expert in cognitive science, clinical psychology, philosophy, AI, you name it. Like, but evolutionary biology, like, yeah. And the thing is, but unfortunately, the point is that he has his limitations too. Whereas, let's say, for a normal person like me, right, my limitation is something below that. Whereas for him, right, he would say, like, okay, I mean, obviously, I'm an expert in field X, Y, and Z. But the thing is, there are times when I go into lectures and I have no idea what they're talking about. And, like, a field that he talked about that he literally wanted to learn and, like, so badly wanted to understand was quantum mechanics. Mm. And he's like, and I can't get it. And it's not like he isn't proficient in math. He is. He just doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand what the equations mean. And so the point is when it comes to being intelligent, right, you kind of have to hold on to one of two ideas. Mm -hmm. It's either sort of you hold on to the fact that, okay, I remember we talked about this, I think, in terms of, like, the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Those, yes. That's great. Yeah, I love those concepts. Because for him, the idea was, okay, if you hold on to this fixed mindset, again, going back to Albert Ellis, holding, about, holding on to that label of I'm intelligent, what's going to happen is you're going to be terrified to even try. So for Daniel Dennett, this idea of intellect or being intelligent, let's say if it was so intertwined with his particular identity, the point is that every single time he stepped into one of those lecture hall, halls and he wouldn't understand what they were talking about, he would either A, leave, or B, he wouldn't even try at all. So the point is for him, he understood that essentially intelligence, and he never said this, so I'm not like quoting him in any sort of way. This is sort of my own kind of inference from everything that he said before. Mm -hmm. Because like Daniel Dennett is all for making mistakes. He's like, just make as many mistakes as you possibly can because he's like, that's the only way you're going to grow and learn. So for him, the idea was essentially, okay, if I'm going to go into this particular field and I have no clue about what's going on, right? He's like, if I go into it essentially, and again, this is my inference from what he's saying. So if I go into it with this sort of fixed mindset, then I'm not going to even try, right? I'm going to sort of, I'm going to shatter at the first sort of mistake and I'm going to run. And so the idea is when we kind of differentiate between these two different mindsets, the growth mindset says, look, like there's no such thing as intelligence. There's no such thing as being smart. And if I really actually want to learn something, then I'm going to have to accept that there's going to be a lot of times, especially in new fields, that I'm not going to understand something. There are going to be a lot of times when I'm going to be confused. There are going to be a lot of times where I just won't know what the hell I'm even doing or what the hell the person saying. So just to harp on that sure. for an instant. Mm -hmm. um, that's then you would consider a growth having a growth mindset or attempting to uh, frame your thoughts in that way mm -hmm. as a kind of a, a treatment slash let's stick to the word treatment for imposter syndrome yes uh, by reframing uh, your because here's the thing the difference between somebody with imposter syndrome and somebody without imposter syndrome is just they think differently yeah. that's about it yeah otherwise um, everyone is afraid to fail everyone yep is afraid to look kind of stupid and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But the difference is the person who will embrace that growth mindset that you're talking about, yep. they will at least be attempting to be comfortable with a mystery, with not knowing how things are going to work out, yep. not knowing the like uh, uh, all the information about a particular topic, perhaps also relying on the fact that maybe they might not know it now in this instant. But maybe perhaps at a later point, with a little uh, training or a little, uh, yeah. mm, what's it? Time. Uh, time I would even say time. That. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it takes time to digest. And so it's so interesting because like, so Jamie and us, like we had a conversation last week about, you know, Kate Mann's book, uh, Down Girl, right? Yeah. So, and this is something that I was kind of like not sure of whether to say or not, but I actually found that book to be incredibly difficult. And so the parts of it that I felt like I did understand were literally because I took the time to actually read it over several times. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, and obviously because I really am not, you know, sort of involved in any other field but philosophy, right? Because kind of, you know, our acquaintances, the people we know. So what I do know about philosophy is that from the people who are in it, I'm not one of them, right? I'm a therapist, I'm not a philosopher. So, but the point is for them, they tell us all about how much they struggle with the material. And so philosophy is like notoriously hard to understand, right? It's sort of, it's hard to internalize the concepts because a lot of them are Latin. But then on top of that, I mean, the material itself is so foreign because it's not something we think about in the everyday world. And it's very difficult to digest. So with me and her book, right, essentially I actually gave up on it three times three times i gave up on it i was like yo i'm done i was like forget it i don't care if it's an important topic i'm just not doing it i said it's just not worth it mm -hmm. so i kept trying i kept trying and i kept giving up and giving up and giving up right so then eventually i was just like look i'm just gonna just try one more time you know what if it doesn't work it is what it is and i mean i could just say i did it i gave it a shot and i was like whatever 10 bucks you know out the door and so for whatever reason the third time did the charm and for me at least in terms of my mindset what helped was allowing myself to accept that i don't have to understand everything in that book and i did right and that wasn't the point so i think a lot of the times when we do fail we really stop at that first point of sort of uh what is it called like tension right that sort of first pitfall where you're like oh shit here we go and then if it sort of piles up then you're like crap now i don't want to do this anymore that's what happened with that book so technically speaking a lot of what she said initially made sense to me as i read on but if i hadn't given myself that chance it would have never happened kind of interesting how it relates to the first podcast we've done mm -hmm. we did on uh, the flow, flow. Mm -hmm. right if it's something is too difficult yeah and out of you know out of uh, your current skill set you might feel discouraged to uh, take action along yeah. that line um, what's interesting is if you pursue something thinking that it's possible you'll get it at a later point mm -hmm. um, I think that's not a bad way to think about it uh, there are some things that mm, that I've done before where uh, definitely the first time, the second time, third time, even the fourth, perhaps even the fifth time, mm -hmm. I wasn't so uh, skilled. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, there were other, I mean, depends on what we're talking about. Let's say with this podcast, uh, I know that from episode one, from uh, not just simple things like sound issues or, uh, uh, or visuals, <laughs> Or visitors? No, I'm just kidding. I, yeah, I'm just being silly. But <coughs> visuals, oh, there's that cough. There's that cough again <laughs> from the last episode. But yeah, there's uh, lots of things that uh, we encountered. But I mean, I guess one of the things that kind of spurred me on, uh, it wasn't just reframing, thinking I'll get it next time. That's definitely ninety percent of it. Mm -hmm. Other, there's other reasons that go into it. And I'm sure other people would have nuanced reasons for why they do things. But I was thinking, okay, I'll just build confidence. Mm -hmm. Like for example. Um, if I remember correctly, once upon a time, I took learning theory in college. And if I remember correctly, the um, stages of learning, there was uh, unconscious incompetence uh, as you're beginning yeah, something. Yeah. And then conscious incompetence. Now you're beginning to kind of try and get some kind of a handle, but you're still not really competent. Then conscious uh, competence. So you're paying attention to what you're doing, but and then you're starting to get competent at it. You're starting to get good, mm -hmm. and then unconscious competence, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden it becomes like intuition, and yeah. you get it, and you're good at it, and it doesn't require much of a conscious uh, effort, or at least 
not the same kind of effort that originally took. It kind of frees up mental resources for you to maybe add your own kind of uh, thing to whatever it is you're doing. Right. Uh, for example, uh, applying what I those four stages to, let's say, driving a car. Mm-hmm. When you start driving a car, you don't know uh, what you're doing. And you, of course, you'd be incompetent because you haven't learned the skill. Yeah. And you start to learn the skill, but because you're going through the beginning stages of it, you're not going to uh, get it right away. But at least you're paying attention to what you're doing. You're kind of starting to get it. Yeah. Then conscious competence, that's when you start to uh, be able to drive. But you have to really pay attention to what you're doing mm-hmm. and look everywhere and all that. And I, by the way, if you, anyone who's driving, you really should be doing that anyway, <laughs> in my opinion. But, you know, stay safe. Yeah. But, of course, when you get to that unconscious competence level, it's very intuitive, smooth. Uh, you could probably even talk to somebody while yeah. driving, mm-hmm. uh, listen to music, do another task while doing it. Again, not recommended. <laughs> but... That's something that uh, comes along with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why is this valuable? Because maybe somebody who might have imposter syndrome, at least in terms of engaging in something foreign to them, Mm -hmm. uh, if you know something like that, if you know that if you reframed, you know, from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, um, that's just some of the ways that you could kind of um, get yourself out of it. Will you be able to remove the feelings associated with imposter syndrome? I highly doubt it, mm-hmm. but can you retrain yourself to at least momentarily have those feelings of imposter syndrome, but kind of drive on through and, yeah. why well, I say drive on through? That's funny. No, I mean, That's funny because mm-hmm. we're just talking about cars. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> you make yourself laugh. Yeah. You got to self-abuse. Um, but yes, uh, yeah, so those are some things that could help somebody with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, and so remember yeah. something that we talked about was that essentially you don't need to have no anxiety. And if anything, that that's counterproductive. So I would say the point of any sort of, let's say, not, I, I hesitate to use the term reframe because people tend to view it as positive spin, therefore bullshit. So what I tend to kind of think of it as a sort of more realistic conception, a more empathic conception of even yourself, right, or towards yourself. So if you think about it that way, the idea is that you're still going to be anxious about failing because you still don't want to fail, right? Remember we talked about sort of, I think it was episode two, where I talked to you about kind of the CBT thought record. So remember, it's like failing the exam itself is not a bad thing. So if you fail the exam and you feel sad and anxious and you're like, shit, you know, I'm really upset at myself. Good thing, right? You're supposed to be anxious that you're going to fail next time because essentially that fear of failure is going to motivate you to succeed, you Mm -hmm. know, in some sort of combination of the two, right? Or it could obviously be that the, you know, motivation actually makes you fear failure, but either way the two go hand in hand i don't know which one comes first but the point of depends right depends on the case well, or, you, or even it's just they come together right however i mean that necessarily isn't so important as the fact that we need anxiety and so without anxiety we actually tend to not do our best because we're just unmotivated we don't care it's not something that sort of matters to us so when it comes to the sort of reframe it's not so much necessarily that i'm reframing this to make myself feel better i mean yes but the point is for you to sort of view it in a realistic way so it's not that i'm feeding myself love for bullshit to make myself feel better it's a positive and sort of a realistic conception of what's happening so the girl in the story in the kind of in the what was it the thought record right in mm-hmm. the kind of in the spiel that i gave you before. the cognitive thought yes the cognitive thought i memorized <laughs> so essentially for her i mean the idea was essentially in the beginning that i initially 
that she was a failure. So of course she's going to be super depressed and super anxious. But when she refrained it to I failed, right, therefore it gives her a chance to kind of do something different next time. So it gives her a chance to succeed. So, and again, and I think that one is literally connected to the growth, uh, well, both are connected to the fixed and the growth mindsets, right? Because the fixed mindset says I'm already a failure, right? Therefore, why should I even bother, right? Which is imposter syndrome. The growth mindset says I failed this time, but there's a chance that I could pass based on my other success. Or there's a chance that I could succeed based on my other success. Mm. Yeah. Well, besides the ways that we discussed, besides uh, reframing or being empathetic to your own um, right. conception of how you think, right. um, what else would you say is like a good way to deal with imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. So I can tell you about the way that I dealt with it, and it's actually not very clinical at all. So, and I, this is something that I talked about in the article. So a lot of the articles that you read online are essentially like five strategies to deal with imposter syndrome. And if you go through the articles, look, they're nice. And I mean, I like those ideas where a lot of it is like, you know, a lot of it is definitely the stuff that I talk about, which of course I think is important. I mean, this is what I do, right? So a lot of it is sort of to understand that like, hey, you know that these expectations you have for yourself are too high that they're very black and white that it's either you're an idiot or you're you know a genius or whatever it is mm -hmm. and so the point is that you kind of have a more nuanced understanding of the world and of life and that essentially you say to yourself like okay that if I feel like an imposter, right, it's it's not because I am, but it's because of these particular ways of thinking, right? It's because of thinking that, you know, like I am a failure, I'm a this, I'm a that, that I have these expectations for myself, right, that are impossible to hold on to, meaning that I have to be competent in every single relevant context in which I learn. And let's say, what was the other one? Um, to be competent so essentially oh and the other thing is I'm comparing myself right so I'm always comparing myself to other people like oh this person is just like so much better than I am so uh, just real quick two yeah. seconds because uh, I was gonna yeah go ahead. yeah but uh, this since it's a common thing mm -hmm. compare knowing that it's a common thing yeah might help somebody not to compare themselves to another person. Yes! Back to you. Brilliant. And that's exactly what I was going to touch on. So oh. that's what actually, that's what, right? So that's what actually helps me. So it's not so much of like the, let's say the logical thinking, which does definitely have its place. So technically speaking, and without sort of mentioning any particular people, right, I can tell you that the most, the most, the smartest and the most brilliant people I know all have imposter syndrome. All across the board. So for me, Mike's sort of takeaway from it is, you know what, if we're all imposter, Posters, that's cool. I'm in such great company and I don't mind that at all. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's mm. good. Yeah, that works. I'm like, cool, that's it. And it's pretty simple. It's like, shit, if we're all imposters, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, sure. Uh, that works. Um, I suppose putting a name to it helps, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for example, say somebody's listening to this for the first time and they're like, whoa, I didn't know there's a name for this feeling. Yeah. Um, that could be helpful in itself. Not a. I mean, I have to, you know that thing where you, <coughs> that cough again? Yeah, you love um, it. <laughs> that thing where it's you our third, of, It's our third uh, host. <laughs> so, the, you know that thing where you assume, I forget what it's called, it's some kind of effect. Which one? But it's, it, I forgot. No, no, but, I mean, but basically, the idea is you think that everyone knows what you know. Ooh. Oh, that's so good. I forgot the name. Yeah. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so the thing yeah. is, uh, it's okay. We'll look it up. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Not now, though. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yes. So, um, so yeah. So, for example, knowing uh, the name to it, like that it's called imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there could be somebody listening to it for the first time. They never heard this concept before. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you have to take things like that into consideration. It's like... There are certain things that, like, when we mention it, 
uh, to us because we've kind of gone over it many times. Yeah. Um, we kind of assume that like people will know, mm, like that already they know something about what we're talking about, but not all the facts, mm -hmm. um, which I think is fine to assume. But then there's people who come to it with not knowing anything, which is actually fantastic because if they're hearing this for the first time, they're like, "Well, this is relatable. Like this is something even somebody who does a podcast, you know, like for instance, if, if this was me a few years ago, mm -hmm. I used to be in full um, spectator mode, mm -hmm. meaning like um, I never took any action of my own mm -hmm. and I wasn't somebody who would... Well, okay, that's a lie. I'm sorry. Okay, I did ego ends now, right? But to be honest, there were more actions I could have done with that. But okay. that aside, let's go back to the main point. I was about to say. So uh, I used to just spectate all the time. I would just be somebody who's watching other people, uh, whether it's television, podcast, whatever. And there is value to that, and it's a fun thing to do. If, if it's a means to an end. Or, or both, at least. Or the end in itself and the means to an end. If you're using it to better yourself or grow in some sort of way. Oh, then you mean like listening to the podcast? Yeah, I mean podcasts oh, are 100 great. It's just that people get stuck in that. I think that's what you're saying. That That's the thing. Yeah. I was stuck in fully spectating. Yeah. Fully spectating, uh, looking at... Um, what's a good way to put it? Ernest Becker uh, says, you know, the, the world is like this uh, arena for heroism, right? Mm -hmm. And I felt, I felt like... Anyone who was spectating, or and myself at the time, um, it's like you let other people have the glory, yeah. but you never try to experience the glory yourself. And so, where was I going with this? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, but the thing is, like, um, yeah, it, it's it's good to. <laughs> I really did forget what I was gonna say. Well, main thing is, um, yeah, anyone who's. Uh, spectating I think that they should only spectate for some time but then also yeah. uh, take some uh, action of their own based on the things that they're learning yeah. um, that's really not the main thought that I was going for before I kind of, I really forgot it no. <laughs> but uh, that's still an okay statement yeah that's pretty good you <laughs> saved yourself pretty well yeah. yeah but so like technically speaking I actually used to do the same thing so like um, have you ever heard of maladaptive daydreaming nope okay so maladaptive daydreaming is literally when you get stuck in your own daydreams so but this could sort of like even though that the concept is about daydreams per se so it also kind of uh, what's the word it sort of um, streams into other sort of areas so like you can have this with video games you can have this with books right? you can have this with learning reading etc so for me it was a combination of things it was maladaptive daydreaming where literally I created like this whole matrix for myself but then on top of that it was a lot of reading so at that particular point in my life like I think I was already going to school maybe not but the point is that I didn't actually believe that I could ever do anything or be anything so like there was a whole point of my yeah right so there was this whole point in my life where I was like okay I mean like I'm just gonna literally learn for the sake of learning which was actually really fucking cool so obviously it sucked because I was still avoiding life right on the one hand but on the other hand I was learning for its own sake and therefore I actually didn't feel any pressure so for me when I was like reading books right the only pressure came from myself and obviously I still have perfectionistic tendencies but the point was because I thought to myself like okay I'm not really gonna do this at this point like I don't want to go into academia like even if I get through school like it's not serious i don't want to do anything special with it so oh wow yeah yeah oh man it was a whole big thing i did not know you yeah, thought like yeah, that. yeah yeah oh, so but yeah now, now this is the personal part 
So essentially, like when I was, that was, you know, kind of going through school, I was like, whatever, I'm going to just be a B student. I was like, forget it. I can't do any better. It's fine. I don't care. Mm -hmm. And on my own, on the side, right, I would kind of like do my own reading and my own research. So the problem was, of course, sort of it reinforced itself. And what I mean by that is when I was doing my own research, I actually wasn't paying attention to the schoolwork. So I actually got the grades that I thought that I deserved. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I got B's and shit. Fantastic. That's what I, I knew I was going to get that. But then there was like, I think there came a sort of a string of classes with like really good professors that I had and I actually was interested in them and so at that particular point they were actually not well one of them was a really difficult class it was one of my first college mentors and I actually did pretty well in it and so you kind of you're like wow I'll get the fuck out like I can actually do pretty well when I actually kind of put my mind to it mm -hmm. but the point is kind of you know obviously going back to the idea of imposter syndrome it literally is so like you know we first talked about the black and white thinking where you're either A or B right and then the other end which is like okay here are these expectations for myself but then also it's a lot of sort of overgeneralized and labeling like I already assumed before I even gave it a shot right like I said before I am a failure so I was like why would I even bother trying and it's so interesting because in my mind at the time there was no way for me to sort of kind of put together the ideas of here I am on the one hand reading material that like I don't know I mean you know, I would say it's pretty challenging but then on the other hand I don't believe that I can actually succeed in the world where this material is at the forefront but yet somehow I managed to do the two things and never put the two ideas together mm -hmm. yeah well that's that is uh that is very interesting. I, again, I did not know that about you. That's yeah. what about But you? that's good. That's good. Uh for me, mm -hmm. uh for example, um I had experienced something similar. Mm -hmm. So until I think my uh well actually so when I started college, right? Um there I, I don't know. I felt like um back in high school I didn't really try so hard with a lot of my classes yeah. because it felt like, okay, this is easy enough that I can concentrate on having fun mm -hmm. and being with my friends right. and playing video games and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. while just like kind of um, learning, but also kind of doing it very intuitively, mm -hmm. like any, any schoolwork, any test. And I actually did pretty okay. I actually did. It's not bad. It's not bad, actually. Mm -hmm. um, then uh, when I got to college... Um, I mean, I had a whole bunch of like motivating forces, but there, well, there was this one point, for example, um, when I started taking this biopsychology class mm -hmm. and I was fascinated. I loved uh, the professor there. Um, just something about the way she taught, uh, just, I felt like compelled to listen to her. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that so much with a lot of, uh, professors. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, once I got to Hunter, yeah, this one was actually very, um, very, you could say, I don't want to use the word inspiring, but long story yeah. short, um, I started getting like A's and I'm like, whoa, mm -hmm. cool. I didn't know this was possible mm -hmm. before that. I wouldn't really try so hard. Um, I wouldn't think that I was capable of, uh, in a college level class. No, okay, I'm lying. Maybe I did somewhere in the back of my no, mind. No, it's on black and white. You probably thought it like I did. Like, you can get this high, but you can't get that high. Well, here's the thing. I mean, on one level, because at the time, again, like, I've been interested in psychology my whole life, and I understood that it's a very subtle thing, the relationship you have between your thoughts and, like, mm -hmm. the things that you do and interact with. Mm -hmm. So, yes, there were things that, like, I, even despite my thoughts, I would still act in, uh, cert, like, along my conditioning mm -hmm. in terms of, like, yeah, I didn't think I was worthy of the A. Mm -hmm. I did think it was possible. Mm -hmm. um, I just had to, I think, uh, think that 
long enough to kind of uh, inch myself in that direction mm-hmm. because uh, you know how like uh, your conditioning has like sort of a momentum to it mm-hmm. and for you to really unwire from it yeah. it's not so instant no it never is no yeah. like mm-hmm. even back to imposter syndrome uh, even if uh, today you realize okay I have imposter syndrome here are the things I can do to uh, um, to mediate that mm-hmm. uh, from uh, reframing to understanding that's a very common thing mm-hmm. to understanding that even the the best among us uh, for example um, Albert Einstein mm-hmm. felt like he had a yes, yes. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't think that he was uh, worthy of just being famous mm-hmm. and like he didn't think his discoveries were that special yeah. but that that's interesting because he's literally one of the people who you know for example if you say somebody is smart you're like oh that kid's like Einstein <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Einstein. Like that. uh-huh. so that's very interesting um, yeah yeah uh, but yes yes uh, by the way your uh, article on it um, what's the like uh, handle on uh, on Twitter if like somebody wants to check out the article for oh uh, for like, like the Leon says for, yeah, for the imposter syndrome uh, oh cool well I didn't thank you for the plug so <laughs> at Twitter I'm at Leon's cafe 31 at Leon's cafe, cafe 31 31 mm-hmm. cool. yeah um, and that was honestly one of my favorite articles to write. I read dude, it. Thank you. And that was literally because like, I was like, dude, like this is something that's so close to home. And it's so interesting. When I write the articles that are like more personal, I get them out like that. The ones that are more sort of academic, and I have to go like drudge through the research and like, you know, put different quotes together. I mean, like I like doing it, but nowhere near as much I like the, as I like the personal ones. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it comes, it, are you saying like it comes naturally? Yeah, you just, it just flows right out. And that's what's so cool about it. And it's like, you, you just get it done like that. And the thing is with the imposter syndrome, what also made it so personal was not only because it's personal to me, but because it's literally personal to almost everybody I know in academia. And it's so interesting because remember we made that point earlier about like how we compare ourselves to other people and literally we don't even really understand what we're comparing or who rather we're comparing ourselves to because we think we're comparing ourselves to the person we see, meaning the person that they are, right? We're not. So a lot of times what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to a person with their own fears, their own doubts, their own insecurities. So it's not like we're comparing ourselves to this confident person who is X, right? We are actually comparing ourselves to the image of the confident person that is X. So interestingly enough, our comparisons actually in terms of like empathy or let's say, because it's not just lack of empathy, I don't mean to say that, but let's say if you actually knew the persons in their struggle and story, you would see that what you're comparing yourself to is literally the same thing that you are. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hilarious right. how like in in the instant that you're you're thinking that somebody has this uh, knowledge or they're, they're not experiencing what you're experiencing, right. it's like, it's funny that you're literally making it up in your head you're mm-hmm. projecting it onto yeah. them and you're behaving it uh, behaving as if that's really the reality mm-hmm. but it's funny because when you know that you're projecting it onto someone it adds some kind of um like an, another level to it where you don't necessarily get snatched up in that um comparison mm-hmm. like here, here's the thing like i would still uh sometimes automatically get these thoughts where i might compare myself to another person Mm -hmm. but because of this kind of stuff that we talk about and uh, stuff that we haven't even talked about yet Mm -hmm. um, I noticed that it happens but it's brief Mm -hmm. it's it's weird it's like a different relationship to those kinds of thoughts Mm -hmm. and not to say like oh hey I'm perfect Mm -hmm. I figured it out (laughs) I'm the man on top of the mountain (laughs) Uh, one ring 
Yeah, what? <laughs> one ring to rule them all. No, but um, <laughs> but Lord of the Rings started that. Um, Says the guy who's never seen any of them. <laughs> okay, by the way, guys, <laughs> if you want Leon to watch Lord of the Rings, comment down below on the video. <laughs> I've never seen any of the show. I just love movies. I think it's worth it. Yeah. Right. It's a good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. Right. Um, I almost feel like actually now talking about the movie as opposed to like imposter syndrome and all that. <laughs> But well, I'll have nothing to contribute, so, except for that quote. It's pretty cool. Okay, here's how I'm going to relate it to... Okay. Not necessarily imposter syndrome, but basically what we talk about on the show in general. All right, shoot. So that ring, mm -hmm. um, there's this creature in the movie called Gollum. Mm -hmm. Is that Schmeagle? Oh, I know Yeah, Shmeagol. see, you know Schmeagle. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so he's like, he says uh, this line, it's uh, so famous, uh, my precious, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, and all that. Uh -huh. And... He has this attachment to the ring. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically without it, he can't uh, survive. He can't be without it. Mm -hmm. He needs it. Mm -hmm. He identifies with it. Mm -hmm. um, anyone who comes in contact with the ring, mm -hmm. uh, which may represent um, just power or um, it's interesting. It's like some kind of idealization of power, mm -hmm. and a lot of people get tempted by it. Anytime anyone's tempted by it, it's weird. It's like when you see the scene happening, you actually. It's almost like you're you're seeing like uh, as if it, as if they're talking about not necessarily like this is literally a ring and mm -hmm. someone literally wants this ring. It's right. like they're talking about some kind of connection um, that someone has to like materiality or power, mm -hmm. and like it's a, it's like an insidious kind of thought. Mm -hmm. And like there's always this like other voice that mm -hmm. kind of they start making when they start uh, yeah. uh, being like entranced by this ring. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was interesting. It's like it's not themselves. They start taking on a different voice. Mm -hmm. And the, you know how I love the ego and stuff like that. It always brings me back to that kind of a theme. Interesting. Yeah. So I always look at that movie through that theme. Or, I, by the way, somebody might notice this. One of our listeners might notice this. You might have noticed this. I almost look at everything through the lens of how this relates to ego. Like <laughs> yes, you do. So... <laughs> Fair enough. Like, I might... Uh, there's, there no, was, I'm sure that was one of the themes. I wouldn't even be surprised. No, it probably yeah. was. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I tend to do that. I tend to be like, oh, they're talking about ego in, in the Disney movie. <laughs> like, whatever it is. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, it's it's Toy Story. The, mm -hmm. the, one of the toys is missing. I'm, oh, I'm just so kidding, I have but... a question for you. Yeah. What do you think, if there's any, if there's a relation between the ego and imposter syndrome? Well, it, only in the sense that you might identify as somebody who um, doesn't have enough knowledge or expertise on a subject. Mm -hmm. So by believing in that and identifying with that, you've in, in a sense trapped yourself in um, like an egoic trap mm -hmm. uh, by believing in it. However, if you don't believe in it mm -hmm. uh, or you, 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 let's say you embrace that, big, that, whoa, that growth mindset, yeah. it, it's well, growth in itself implies something that's necessarily opposite to ego but ego kind of implies this kind of rigidity mm -hmm. okay there you go of like a fixed mindset mm -hmm. in a sense you can relate it to it mm -hmm. um, so by by embracing something outside of that fixed mindset by trying something different or thinking that you can attempt to uh, do this thing yeah. or uh, yeah, something along those lines. Do, do you think it's possible yeah. that maybe in terms of our first episode, in terms of flow, that if you actually kind of lose yourself in whatever you're doing, maybe you won't feel like so much of an imposter? Whoa. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Right. So 
And you know what's so interesting? Damn, man, this is like current cover a lot. But so, and I had a conversation with somebody today. So like my friend and business partner. And so I mentioned something to her and she was like, dude, you have to talk about that on the show. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to do a show about this. I don't know how I can fit it in. Talk about what? So uh, wait till you hear this. All right. So, all right. So in terms of kind of, so whatever. So this is the conversation with her and I was like, I was like, I don't know how to fit in. She's like, no, like she's like, this is actually like a really, really good topic. I was like, okay. So interestingly enough, here's sort of my info. Okay, so when we talk about kind of like imposter syndrome, right, it actually pops up in many areas, like let's say in multiple areas besides obviously academia. So for guys, and obviously for women too, I just don't know enough about it to say, but it actually pops up in the area of sex. Wow. Yeah, and so this was the conversation that I had with her. So I don't remember exactly what we were talking Damn. I don't remember how we got into this. But interestingly enough, sort of like, okay, so like with sex therapy, right? So sex therapy went a lot of, yeah, so unless it's sort of like, let's say neurological or let's say physiological in some sort of way, erectile dysfunction is essentially connected to, guess what? Imposter syndrome. It's a sort of idea that I cannot satisfy my, you know, my girlfriend, my wife, I'm not sort of good enough. And so the connection between, let's say, sex and imposter syndrome is essentially, well, well, that, and then also the fact that like we put in a lot, we put on a lot of pressure onto ourselves. And so when it comes to sex therapy, right, what we try to do is, well, first we try to, let's say, we ask the person like, you know, kind of to go through the spiel of why like they're not able to have sex. And they'll say, well, you know, like I'm really focused on myself, right? I'm really focused on sort of obviously getting a hard on, right? Sort of I'm focused on, let's say, you know, like kind of doing the act, like, you know, kind of just getting it over with and say, yes, I did it, right? So, and the point is that we say to them like, okay, like even when you were able to do that, was there ever a time when you actually enjoyed it? And they'd say, well, yeah, I mean like kind of momentarily, but like not really. And they might even say something like, I enjoy porn much more. And I'm like, yeah, right. Why would you enjoy porn much more like just what do you think you get out of porn that you might not necessarily get out of sex and the point is essentially they lose themselves right so if they lose themselves in that kind of flow state when they're watching pornography just for the simple fact that there's nobody too pleased they're just they're in it and so the kind of thing that her and I were talking about essentially was that when you have sex with another person the only real way to actually enjoy it and to find remember going back to David Brooks you know the sort of transcendent joy mm -hmm. is to lose yourself in that partner so when the sort of ego actually fades away and what I mean by lose yourself in the partner I mean is literally focus on pleasuring down so when you get out of your head and stop thinking oh my god what is she thinking about me how is this gonna make me look how is she gonna think about me afterwards right what am I doing am I getting like all of these different thoughts that go on so technically speaking what that does is it sort of puts you in a bind right and that's when you're like oh my god I'm not this person right and even if she tells you like you know and this could be in any relationship right even if she tells you he tells you right let's say you know in transgender relationships who cares mm -hmm. The point is that even if the person tells you that, hey, you know, like this was really good, you can still say, mm, I don't know, I'm not doing the X, Y, and Z, and you might compare yourself to whomever, right? And God knows wherever. Mm -hmm. But the point is what that does is it's debilitating, and it debilitates you. So the conversation that essentially my friend and I had about sex was that like the fact that the best sort of sex happens when literally the two people lose themselves in each other by literally focusing on pleasuring one another, where there's sort of no bound, well, not no boundaries, but no sort of, let's say, egoic desires of receiving the pleasure in return mm -hmm. where the idea is that I don't care how I look right my point is to make my partner happy so when it comes to sex therapy what we talk about or what kind of we help clients get through is essentially or get to is get to the point where they don't care so much anymore about their own pleasure but they're focusing on the other because kind of paradoxically speaking when you're focusing on the other right there in a sense that brings the true pleasure and true sort of transcendence that's very interesting <laughs> because yeah, yeah you switch from like a, a me 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 mindset yes, to yes. a for lack of a better way of putting it, a you, you, you mindset. Yeah. 
uh, which are arguably, uh, I'm not sure if this is a word, paradigmatically. Yes, maybe. yes, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, I would say thinking about how another person feels is a higher level of thinking. I, I don't want to put it in a hierarchy, but mm -hmm. uh, there comes, there's a lot of cons to thinking only about yourself yeah. and uh, needing to control a situation. And also in relation to a partner, I mean, you're trying to literally control something that is uncontrollable, yeah. in essence, mm -hmm. in a sense. And it's like, of course, if somebody's like uh, masturbating, watching porn and stuff like that, that's something that, of course, yes, I, I see what you're saying. Like, they can lose themselves in that. Right. But at the same time, it's like they're trying to, it's like easier to control. Yeah. In that yeah. Sense. And, and there's no sort of judgment. That's the point. Right. Yeah. But then embracing like, again, that, <laughs> it's interesting, embracing the growth-based mindset <laughs> <laughs> when yeah. having sex is probably a great idea. Yeah. Like, and also, uh, since we're on this topic, if anyone is actually dealing with something like that, um, I suppose, what, what would you say? Literally shift your concerns to just yeah. them. So think about... Then, what, hoping that they're going to shift their concerns to you as well? well? It's not a hope. I mean, you no, can have a conversation... Yeah, it's, no. <laughs> you can have a Getting deep here, guys. <laughs> You can have a conversation with your partner about it. Like, look, okay. think about it when it comes to public speaking, right? So the best message that people get when they're afraid of public speaking is to not so much focus on yourself, but focus on the message and the importance of it. So, man, I we're going into so many great things. Okay, remember that article that we talked about this week about the writer who actually ended up, like, stuttering and then kind of, like, remember she kind of found yes. herself in the stutter and she was like, like, no, this thing made me happy. And I realized that it was a part of who I am and that it was acceptance rather than change that I was actually or should have been looking for. So interestingly enough, like when it comes to actual speaking or when it comes to kind of public speaking, what helps a lot with people who do stutter, and this actually wasn't the story with her, by the way. I just, it kind of came to mind because I thought it was so incredible that for her acceptance was more important than actually sort of change. And sort of when it comes to public speaking, right, and the, I guess the connection, if still a very loose one, is more so about the fact that she didn't believe she needed to change, whereas for the person who was afraid of public speaking, we actually wouldn't tell them to change either. We would just say, look, like literally focus focus on the message. So go into the message and say, hey, this is what I want to say and I want to say it to yourself in your mind. That I want to say this essentially because it's important for those people to hear it. And it's not important how I say it because how I say it is irrelevant. As long as it's understandable, even if it takes me some time to get it out. And that's what I think was, in, kind of going back to this article really quick, and I mean obviously this is a real digression. No, no, it's important. It's yeah. a shifting focus. Right. It's actually very important. Anyone who's listening, and also I, even I'm like actually uh, getting some stuff from this uh, 100% like I'm thinking okay actually where your focus goes really counts yeah. for instance I mean say I had to engage in some kind of public speaking uh, forum something like that right. um, I'll be honest with you uh, yeah I haven't spoken in front of a crowd that much mm -hmm. I've done it before but not often enough to have that kind of experience with right. it where I'm uh, unconsciously competent let's say mm -hmm. right but um yeah, uh, knowing that, yeah, you should concentrate on the message that you're giving, um, that's an interesting shift of focus. And it doesn't make me, um, for example, uncomfortable with the idea mm -hmm. of public speaking, which is fascinating. Yeah, uh, I'm sh yeah that's weird because normally I kind of would be. Yeah. So, and I would have just kind of plow through it. Right. But 
Yeah, that's very helpful, for example. Yeah, and, at the, and it's the same thing with sex, yeah. right? And it's even it could even be the same story with somebody who does have an issue with stuttering. Because if they're focusing on the message itself, just like the person who's obviously having sex is literally focusing on the other partner, not only is it easier, and paradoxically, it actually sort of gets better in terms of the actual method, right? But the point is essentially that they kind of, the anxiety diminishes, which is why it gets better. So the point is when you focus on the other person or when you focus on the actual message, you're not in your own head in the sense of, what am I doing? How do I look? What are they thinking of me? Yeah. Plus, uh, anyway, anytime you're in your head, even if you are performing the action, whatever it is, right. um, the quality of the action, in my opinion, is not so good. Right. Um, I don't know. Too, it's like you're using up too many mental resources thinking about what you're doing. Yeah. You won't, for example, that client that you were talking about, it's like, did you ever enjoy the sex right. ever? It's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you have to consider that. Uh, even if you're doing everything mechanically correct, say you, you know all the moves, right. you read all the books, right, right. you know, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter because, yeah, if you can't actually, like, let go and put your focus on the other person fully, right. you, couldn't, you can't enjoy yourself. Plus, it's interesting. It's, it's funny. It kind of goes back to um, that David Brooks article in a sense of the second mountain man. Yes. It's funny because um, you are offering value. <laughs> You are. It's it's not a communal. I mean, it kind of is a communal thing. Well, I mean, in you're a per, sense, well, you one are. per other person, but yeah, I mean, you're performing a service in a sense. You are performing. In a way, you are right. I'm not saying I you am, yes. right. Like anything, <laughs> no, <I'm just> like, <laughs> I mean, look, any, no, I want to say you are. But then you said that. <laughs> so any service that we perform, I mean, we usually get something from it, whether it's money, whether it's sort of gratitude, whatever it is. So even in the act of sex, I mean, you're essentially performing a service for somebody, right? Unless you're literally just getting a blowjob and you're just lying back right obviously then you know you're just and that if that's all you do then you're just selfish right? you could reframe that as a service <laughs> but that's me joking oh, God. Yeah, yeah. no no but yes yeah so essentially when even though it's a particular even though yeah so david brooks would say that it is a service and the thing is that there's sort of transcendence in it or the joy is transcendent because you literally are focused on the other person so what this made me think of was literally jason Silva and ernest becker and this idea of merging with another person right to sort of conquer death but here's the thing when it comes to sex guess what the only way you can transcend yourself and you know kind of obviously metaphorically speaking or in some kind of let's say ethereal sort of state that you can really merge with somebody is when you actually focus on them and if they focus on you then my god man they're fucking powerful wow yeah right then you conquer death at least in that moment in that existential moment of eternity you conquer death but it's all about focusing on the other that's powerful right yeah. Wild shit. <laughs> Just a question. Would Shoot. you want to keep going on or do you want to end it there? Because that's that's some powerful stuff right there. <laughs> we can talk about that. Hey, it's a long show. Okay. I'm sure okay. we could tie it back to the imposter syndrome stuff when we come back. Yeah, I could see that. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of struggling to relate <laughs> back to imposter syndrome. All right, I suppose. On. No, I mean, yeah, in 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 the sense that uh, <laughs> no, no, seriously, I'm saving. I'm saving. It. No, uh, yeah, but like, right? If if um, if you can embrace like thinking, I mean, at least in relation to like, let's say, sex specifically, right? You can embrace that um, you'd be putting your focus on somebody else. Yeah. That can take you out of let's say imposter syndrome in that particular scenario yeah um, and i think even academically or like let's say you know kind of rhetorically right same thing right yeah, yeah for instance um so i haven't written anything in a while mm -hmm. 
and I, back in the day when I did, I used to get great feedback mm-hmm. on how I wrote. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, okay, uh, maybe I should get back to doing that. It's also really a good idea to write because you kind of parse your ideas onto paper. A lot of our thoughts have gaps in them. Yeah. So you may uh, be, uh, how should I put this? Uh, say you're thinking your thought, even if you had like clever thoughts during the day and um, you do think about nice lofty ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is you're kind of nice to yourself in the sense that any gaps in thoughts you'll kind of just um, rationalize or you'll just stop there and you won't really um, have clearly uh, put down what it is that your full thoughts are on a particular subject. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like you're really uh, maintaining a full stream of thought. Right. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've kind of felt like an imposter in terms of writing ability. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime I have written, like I've had... Yeah, again, pretty decent feedback. A lot of if and also if you look up uh, again imposter syndrome, you'll notice that even when people get good feedback about what they do, it doesn't necessarily help them. No, I, they disqualify. Another negative thinking style, disqualifying that positive. Right? It doesn't count because they were just being nice. Yeah. So like even if um, somebody's complimenting you and you feel like an like the be- the best thing would be to again like embrace that growth mindset and kind of reframe. Uh, or, uh, ha- as you said, it be empathetic to how you can you know, your conception of um, whatever it is that you're mm-hmm. well, dealing you, with. Yeah, I w- yeah, exactly, and empathetic to literally your own possibilities. Because again, going back to that excessive standard, right? We don't really empathize with ourselves in terms of not only the way we treat ourselves, but also in terms of our limitations and our potentials. So the point is that we literally believe that other people are are capable of sort of, if not perfection, and close to it when no one is. So mm-hmm. our standards are absurd. Again, very black and white. It's either I'm intelligent or I'm an idiot. If I make a mistake, I'm an idiot, right? If I do something perfectly, I'm intelligent. And again, as Albert Ellis would say, it's this seesaw of self-esteem, right? So what Albert Ellis would actually argue is that for the most part, right, we actually achieve very little in our lives in terms of like big accomplishments. So for the most part, then we're going to feel like shit about ourselves. So if our self-esteem, which is again, what he calls conditional self-regard, if it's based on external achievements, he said, guess what, man? You're going to be depressed for the vast majority of your life because he's like, for the most part, Unless you have like a PhD in molecular biology in Harvard, from Harvard, and you're doing phenomenal research on God knows what, right? He's like, you're going to feel like shit about yourself. You're not doing X, Y, and Z, and for whatever reason, you think that other people are. Yeah, that's the difference between having like a, uh, I'll I'll use this term. It's like uh, the difference between having core confidence and kind of a situational confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Depending on the situation, things come and go. Uh, You may be one day... Uh, really popular another day not so popular yeah. you may have a lot of money one day another day not so much sure. uh, all kinds of things come and go and if you base how you feel or what you do or how you're going to behave on stuff like that it's going to be a very messy ride there there probably is a way to have sort of a consistent yeah. more or less feeling about you know, yourself. And you yeah. know how I kind of try to reframe that? And I love that you kind of touched on that point. So there technically is. And so what it is, is that if you view these particular avenues or let's say these particular achievements as literally manifestations of qualities you already have. So like, let's say, right, we talk about, remember, 
You might not, but it's okay, obviously, because it's happened a long time ago. So anxiety exists on the bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like this big sort of slope. And so at the one end, right, is somebody who's like, let's say, not anxious at all and unmotivated, right? And then at the other end of the spectrum is somebody who is anxious, but let's say is also unmotivated because they're paralyzed by it. And so here at the sweet spot of the bell curve is somebody who's, let's say, just the right amount of anxious and just the right amount of motivation. Mm -hmm. And so the difference is literally between person, let's say, well, a, B, C, right? The person B and person C is person C literally believes that if, let's say, they don't become a doctor or a lawyer, that means they're stupid. Or if they fail an exam, that means they're stupid. But the person whose person B essentially believes that, okay, like, if I become a doctor, what that shows is it's already proved that I am intelligent, which is great. I mean, I already knew that, but it's obviously nice to have this. So, and if they become a doctor, it's the same thing. If, let's say, they don't become a doctor or a lawyer, they say, okay, there are these other professions available to me. But the point is, there's this understanding and conception of oneself as already being intelligent. Look, I'm not for labels, but I get it. Sometimes people need them, especially because for us, we like to feel good about ourselves. Fine. You can conceptualize yourself as intelligent, right? Say, if there's an ample amount of evidence for it, I don't care. I'm not, this doesn't have to be deeply philosophical. But the point is that for that particular person, what it is, is that if they fail at something, right, they understand and, oh, and you made the point of empathizing with yourself, right? I actually, and now I understood like where you were coming to or what I was even saying to you about it before, mm. right? So essentially when you empathize, oh crap, I lost the thought. Wait, no, I got it. So essentially when you empathize with yourself, you understand that like, um, crap, I did lose the thought. Oh, I hate when that happens. All right, wait. So, all right, let me just go back. Well, to when you empathize with yourself, that kind of helps you maintain like a sort of a consistent feeling about yeah yeah yeah. so the consistent yeah. feeling part right so essentially you kind of view yourself as these qualities already right and you understand that like you by failing at per oh that's what i meant so when you empathize when you empathize with yourself you actually empathize with your circumstances so it's like if i failed at this right you understand that i failed because of these reasons so going back to the thought record so the little girl in that sort of example wasn't upset anymore or at least that upset because she understood that she failed because she didn't study right so she empathized with herself saying like oh i understand why I didn't do this because I, you know, I literally didn't put in the effort, which is like, okay, cool. I mean, that's why you have these consequences. Mm -hmm. But the point of empathy is essentially that you understand the bigger perspective of your life and especially in terms of that particular goal. So it's not that I'm like, let's say a failure, which is not empathy because you're not, it's not possible. But it's literally, let's say I didn't become a doctor because let's say... Frankly, I didn't pay attention in my pre-med classes, right? They were boring as fuck. So I ended up failing all of the exams, right? Or let's say for me, oh, here, personal story, right? I actually started out as a criminal justice major, maybe going into law, right? I found the classes so incredibly boring that I literally had a C average in every single one of them. So it was like C minus a C, C, C plus, whatever. And so I could have easily said, oh, clearly I'm stupid, right? Easily. But for me, my at least at that particular time, my conception was, okay, I really just find this boring. Good. So, yeah. So the idea is that you're essentially the core of yourself is who you are and all of these other sort of external achievements, they are essentially just manifestations or proof of it. So if it's like if I'm smart and I get into law school, I'm happy. I'm not going to be ecstatic, right? Because it's not going to be this great dopamine rush because I don't associate or identify with law school in the sense of I need it as proof that I am smart. But the thing is, it's a manifestation of it. So if I'm already smart, I'm like, oh, wow, like that's so cool. I got into law school. But like I was kind of expecting it because I already know that I'm smart and I know that I put in the necessary effort. But that's the middle ground. I got an interesting... Um, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a question, but let's <laughs> put it this way. So I was thinking about imposter syndrome earlier, even before the podcast, and thinking, like, where in my life have I experienced that? And yeah, I've mentioned that briefly, but also I was thinking 
is there a time I've felt that like doing this podcast besides like with the guests but in terms of let's say any kind of recognition that we got right. so for instance Mm, one thing that I noticed that uh, you uh, like and as you should like it is anytime, for example, let's say let's say the other day, for instance, we were posted on the Outlaws page, yes. the official page on yeah. Twitter. They have 600,000 followers. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. It's fantastic. Right. But even if you watch how I'm talking, you, mm -hmm. you see it. It's like it's not you don't see the yeah, joy yeah, yeah, of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's not because I don't enjoy it. Right. And then I was thinking, is this imposter syndrome in terms of I don't think I'm deserving of this or something mm -hmm. like that or hmm. is it like okay because uh, a lot of achievements and stuff like that it's it's good but I, like I've noticed uh, at least from my own life experience of course yes I'm not again not the man on the mountain and I'm only 28 years old but anyway um, from whatever experiences I've had I've noticed that you know achievements come and go things yeah. happen but I've also had times when I've like been really excited about something, but it hasn't worked out. Mm -hmm. I've had times when I've been really disappointed about something, but then it did work out, mm -hmm. and this and that, and all these ah. ebbs and flows. So like, uh, I was wondering like, is this like an imposter syndrome thing where I don't think I'm deserving of it? So anytime something happens, I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, but but I don't have a like a feeling of like I don't deserve it though. Right. It's more of a feeling of like this kind of steady like, oh, that's cool. Like that, and I'm not sure if that's correct. By the way, to feel like that, I mean, it's 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 happening. I mean, do you think it's possible that you're predicting failure? I'm not predicting failure. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm right. I want to consider this because I want to. Here's the thing. Like one of the things that like um, I try to do is definitely consider every perspective on mm -hmm. something, yeah. and also try to see. Where am I rationalizing? Right. Where where am I? Uh, for example, anytime like if I've ever pointed a finger at someone, where 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 am I pointing the like not pointing the finger at myself? Where are these things that like I would see other people doing, but I'm not looking for where I'm doing it? Right. You know, I try to find these things because I want to think as as close to the truth as possible. At the same time, also try to have some kind of advantageous, try to create as much of an advantageous uh, frame. Mm -hmm. Uh, while still adhering to truth. Well, what do you think it is? If I had to say, mm -hmm. it's clo It's probably from this analysis so far. Right. It looks like it's just like this thing of... It relates to what you said about... Uh, you kind of already assume you have these qualities, so you don't get like these ebbs and flows of emotion. That's true. It's, cl it's close to that. Mm -hmm. I would just say, uh, and you'd be surprised... You might not be surprised, actually, knowing... Mm -hmm you knowing me but uh so we have this joke on the podcast where i'm a little uh woo woo as they say <laughs> yeah so some of the things that i've read before for instance let's say we're talking about like mm -hmm. from eastern philosophy consciousness and mm -hmm. all that mm -hmm. well uh all these achievements they come and go yes. but the one thing that remains is like just awareness of these things happening mm -hmm. and that's one thing that doesn't really change no matter what appears in, oh, I in awareness so that's like your philosophy yeah so okay. I kind of like it's basically that kind of model mm -hmm. that I kind of work with yeah. but it is related to what you were saying about uh, you know qualities that you already see yourself in, in a way I don't really like consciously think of qualities that I think I already have I might on some level though what I was also yeah. thinking is a sort of alternative interpretation was that you just seem detached from it yeah. That's kind of like in a Buddhist way. Like, look, some people like it. It's definitely not for me. Yeah. Like, I, 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 well, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. So I like the, I like the news, mm -hmm. but I won't, 
like celebrate it. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. Maybe because I got, for example, other times, like when I've heard of, let's say, uh, you know, when you're coming up, you hear like success stories. You kind of look for people who are kind of like you. Mm-hmm. You want to see like how they succeeded, what did they go through, stuff like that. Right. And there is this, like, for example, there's uh, I've heard this before. Uh, oh, when I made my first million dollars, I was like, geez, I went through all this crazy stuff to make a million dollars. <laughs> I now I have a million dollars. <laughs> I feel, ah, isn't that fantastic? It That's feels wild. great. But that has to be with expectations because maybe your expectations of whatever the achievement was or was going to be were way too high. Or maybe the idea of it before you achieve it sounds awesome, but then when you actually go through the reality of what it takes to achieve it, you're like... Mm. The end doesn't justify the means. Suppose not. No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I that, think about that technically, yeah, technically it's like that with everything. Like nothing is really too good to, I mean, everything is essentially too good to be true in some sense. Like things are much better in our minds than they actually are in reality. So, so I try to do the reverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to do almost give nothing to like yeah. how I imagine something might. No. Okay. Here's a, here's what I'll do. I will imagine um, something going right mm-hmm. and uh, attempting to strive for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, almost besides that not necessarily think too much about it so this way whatever the result is Mm -hmm. it's not something that'll uh, mess with my emotions Uh, because here's the thing like you want to there's so many things you have to focus on daily Mm -hmm. if you let yourself get thrown astray by expectations about certain things how you how you are with other people Mm -hmm. or with other tasks that you take it's weird it like seeps into it (sighs) what what are you thinking? Dude, it's like, again, this is not obviously meant to be like a criticism in any way, but man, that's like such an, that feel that life, that kind of life that you're describing feels like such a void. It's like Mr. Spock, no emotions, must focus on task. I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> y- yes and no. Yeah. Like, okay, for instance, we're having this podcast yeah, yeah. right now. It's a silly goose time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly goose time. I got that from the computer. Uh- uh, from Crystalia, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so like, yeah, it's like I, it's not like I can't laugh and enjoy having mm-hmm. good emotions about something. So it's definitely not very Spock-like in that sense. Yeah, but in terms of like expectations of certain things, like beyond making like maybe some kind of a plan mm-hmm. or brainstorming, I, I won't let myself go to s- certain places. Like for example, um, if I wanted to, I could be like, oh hey, uh, in the future, I could. We're gonna be famous. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be famous, guys. <laughs> and like, we're gonna have so many fans, and they're gonna like, co- we're gonna have all kinds of like, we're, there's gonna be the Twitter trolls, and we're gonna not, we're gonna start not looking at comments one day, and because uh, we can't for our own sanity. Right. Like, I imagine like weird, you know, I could imagine scenarios like that. Right. Um, I could imagine us not being able to go anywhere because there's so many like people like oh my god it's Tyler it's Leon oh my god and then like we have to get like security or yeah. something and I'm imagining now weird things you know but I I don't want my mind to go to like places like that I suppose I mean some people would say that the hope itself is enough to sort of carry you so I do this a lot when I date so I don't know some people would argue obviously that this isn't a good thing so a lot of the times I'm like let down so not only by the person I'm dating but even by myself because there are times when I fuck up as well and, and then I'm like shit like I this could have actually gone somewhere so but the thing is I gotta tell you man so even though I'm let down it's always actually worth it for me that hope that comes along with it it's like so fucking intoxicating it makes me feel so alive that even though there's a crash after I'm like you know what even though during the crash I'm like oh this sucks I'm never gonna feel like this again and, but then like after some time I'm like you know what I really enjoyed that hope man 
interesting. Yeah. Um, I should. Here's the thing. I'm thinking about what you just said, and mm. I'm like, huh. <laughs> you know, I I've done that. Yeah. But it is true that I've not done something like that in a while. Yeah. And that mm. makes you feel alive, man. That's why a lot of people don't like really I don't feel alive. No, I hear. You. I hear <laughs> but I hear but, you. But, that, but, I know yeah. what you're talking about, though, and it feels like yeah. it's a really good yeah. Feeling. It's like a rush, yeah. right? That's why a lot of people wouldn't subscribe to that Buddhist notion of detachment because, like, think about love and pain, right? And this is Just, like. Mm. Love and pain, right? So, like, C.S. Lewis, right? Who had this really sort of great story and, I mean, with his, like, let's say, with the, his wife at the time, Joy Davidman. And so, for him, his sort of... And I'm not even going to give you this story because it's not as relevant as what he said. Well, it is. Actually, it's a really good story. But what's most relevant is literally what he said in the end of it, where he says, the pain is worth the love every single time. And he said, essentially, like, the pain and the love are essentially connected. Then this, I'm paraphrasing, where he said something along the lines of, the pain is connected to the love, right? Or rather... Oh, this is what he said. He said, the pain now is the price you pay for the love then. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. And he said it's worth it every single time. So even with the hope, you can view it like that. Like the pain after is literally worth the hope because it's a part of being alive. So here's the thing. That, that, so I'm in full agreement with that. Uh, the, that Buddhist idea of detachment, I s- subscribe to partly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do believe that the real joy of life is, is in, in engagement. Yeah. Um, so I, I still engage, um, but as far as the expectations part, yeah, that's probably something that I should consider more. Because here's the thing, like, is it, you're not gonna, it's funny, maybe because I've had so many things, uh, not, not so many, haha, but I've had things not go right before, and, uh, I don't know, I feel like, uh, the time, you know, if you ever get too depressed, let's say, from a relationship, it could really bog down how you do everything yeah, else. Absolutely. You almost don't want to ever experience that again. No, and yeah. nobody does, I'm sure. That's relatable. Yeah. The point is um, that it comes with it. And that's, I think, the point that Lewis made was that even though he was severely depressed, so she actually died of cancer. And she literally died, like, within months of knowing him. Yeah, and he said it was worth it. Is there... Yeah, of course. But is You there, say, of course, but then you're like, no, 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 no. No, no, but is there is there a way to, like... Oh, this is the ultimate question. Yes. Is there a way to do this without the pain? <laughs> without the pain? Well, yeah, so Albert Ellis would say yes. Without too much pain? No, enough but, pain? A little well, so, pain? So, yeah, so Albert Ellis would argue not essentially to attach your self esteem to it. Where you can say that, look, just because, and this is like a cliche now, just because this person didn't see your wonderful qualities doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have them. So, the idea is that sometimes, obviously, because people have their own sort of psychologies and their own backgrounds, right? Sometimes they won't see you for who you actually are because of whatever reason, right? So, you can still have these wonderful qualities and still feel good about yourself. And have this person break up with you for whatever amount of reasons right sometimes people are too anxious sometimes they get afraid sometimes let's say they, they have a tendency to push people away and sometimes maybe like for whatever reason they just don't see the goodness in you maybe they don't want it and again maybe they're pushing you away and they don't want to see it but the point is that again just like with the job you losing another person doesn't have to be an indicator of your let's say valuelessness or yeah uh, worthlessness right valuelessness whatever so the point is that essentially that you're saying like hey by the way I'm not this person who's let's say breaking up with me or I'm not entrenched or enmeshed with this person I meet right I still have these qualities even if they don't want to acknowledge them for X amount of reasons right doesn't mean they don't have them also uh, what's interesting about the way you're talking about it's assuming that you actually are someone who's good in the situation imagine, imagine <laughs> not an imposter uh, yeah not, not necessarily not even that just yeah. like imagine like somebody actually behaved in a way in a relationship where just because of how like the personalities kind of meshed yeah. 
you may behave in ways that normally you would not. Yeah. But it is important to be um, cognizant of like yeah. what are what are those things that you have done because uh, yeah. I, by the way this is kind of a tan this is not now talking about just that detachment thing it's right. more talking about in general like if somebody's listening um, I, it is important to like kind of look at yourself yeah. and not think it's just like them they didn't see my great qualities yeah, of course there were times when I broke up with a girl like so and I remember no she broke up with me so and I remember I was like devastated by this and like so my therapist essentially ended up going to that point she's like well she just doesn't see it right she's like why are you letting her define you and so technically speaking I mean she was absolutely right right like this girl didn't have to have the power to define me but then again I was also kind of a dick so like when I thought about it I was like oh that's what she broke up with me so like at the end of the day I mean so both of us were right in essence like yes she shouldn't define me and I shouldn't feel like I'm a piece of shit and I'm like horrible and I'm unlovable, blah, 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 because she broke up with me. But then again, I also had a role in it. So I agree with you there. Mm. Yeah. Like it's the important, the important thing is to like, to really think about this stuff and to forge on yes. and still embrace that kind of, that growth uh, mindset yeah. and attempting to, like for instance, maybe uh, I should realize from, you know, from this conversation, like, hey, maybe play around with expectations a little or let yourself... Expect something. Expect something. Right. Um, don't necessarily just fully stray away from it because it'll lead to like that ebb and flow of like this. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. You know. Yeah. Fair enough. So that's interesting. So okay, from the perspective of somebody watching, mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh, okay, I've seen someone go through thinking about uh, their, you know, like uh, their their own thought process and how they think about things, mm-hmm. which is useful because I'll be honest with you. Every anytime I've seen anyone else do a podcast or someone gets revealed something to themselves like to, to them about themselves mm-hmm. a lot of people don't acknowledge it mm-hmm. or they'll try to be like uh, oh I'm, hey, I'm doing a show or I want to look like the expert or right, something right. like that oh like the role of the expert yes yeah and like uh, I feel like that's also uh, well it's not an imposter but it's like um, I don't know it's not genuine Yes, it's definitely not genuine. That, that's for sure. Yeah. And interestingly enough, so and I told and so I told Alan this about what, probably two days ago or something along those lines. So the best, like literally the best fucking feedback that I got was from my friend Elaine, who said the thing that makes you. Where she said, yeah, she said the thing that makes the podcast so good is the fact that the both of you come from a perspective of the audience or from the perspective of the audience that the both of you are essentially learners and you're both asking questions to and or you're asking questions and wanting to learn the answers about them. Well, connected to them, yes. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you're essentially and I wish I fucking said that better. <laughs> so that was that was completely fine and then even with the stutter, like I'm sure whoever's listening to Yeah, and I that's yeah. So the point was essentially that she said the thing that makes you guys pretty much is your what makes you guys valuable is essentially your kind of vulnerability and your ability to say like, hey, or at least imply it that I don't know this thing and I want to know the answer to it. So she said what makes your show so good is that you guys are learning with the audience and you're essentially just you're you're curious, right? Just like everybody else is. So I would argue that maybe it's even possible that people wouldn't listen to us so much if we were the experts. And I actually had a client tell me, by the way, she said, the thing that I like you most, she's like, is that you don't have the answers to everything. And she's like, when I ask you a question and you tell me, I don't know, she's like, I fucking love that. Cause I'm like, Hey, I'm in that same boat with you. And I don't feel like you're like in some authority figure who's up here and I'm down here. So she's like, obviously in the term, in the field of mental health, like you're supposed to know more than I do. That's cool. But she's like, I love that. You're not like, you don't come from a standpoint of, I know it all. And I know 
everything about you, right? And she's like, and I like the fact that we can kind of sit in the ambiguity and say like, yeah, we just don't know. Maybe this is something we could figure out together. And I think that's what makes our show so good in terms of like our guests, right? Not only do we obviously spot, shine kind of the spotlight on them, but then on top of that is like, we're, I got to tell you guys, a lot of times when we ask questions to our guests, like not always, right? There's sometimes where like, let's say I'll say something like, oh, can you tell our audience? Like that's usually an answer that I know. Or, yeah, and then a question that I know the answer to. But when we ask questions like, and we're like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that. We genuinely mean that. Like our guests actually teach real, us. Those are real moments. Yeah. It's not like something that's structured or planned. Or right. Like our guests like actually teach us a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny. Uh, yeah. There are thing, there are things that I remember better just from having talked about it, as opposed to have re read it right. or watched the video, mm -hmm. which is very interesting. Yeah. Um, I think I forgot where. Uh, maybe again, back to learning theory. Back in college, mm -hmm. I believe there was uh, like a graph that said uh, what percentage, like how how well do you learn based on like what the task is, whether it's from reading, uh, talking about it, uh, hearing about it from somebody else. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. Mainly, the best, uh, the you retain the most information from talking about a subject. Yes. Yeah, which is very interesting. Yeah. yeah, and then writing, I believe, is the next one, and then body language is below it or something. That makes sense. That actually makes sense. You know what? Just one thing, just in case, for the sake of accuracy, mm -hmm. please look that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because here's the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I now that I said that I'm like no no wait wait a second no there was something about body language being a really good that's fine but it's yeah. yeah so I mean in terms of kind of obviously wrapping it up because I mean yeah so uh, well do you have any final thoughts or comments about imposter syndrome well um, there are a lot of good resources online um, that talk about imposter syndrome uh, from Leon's blog oh, well, let's say you. I know I know <laughs> that's, I'm a, that's a good right, yeah, 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 yeah I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> um, there's uh, TED Talks on it online. If you YouTube uh, imposter syndrome, it's, it's there. You could Google it too. Yeah. Uh, whatever you prefer, whether you want to listen to it, watch it, or you yeah. know, read about it. It's, there's definitely a lot of resources about it. Um, and yeah, the, what are the stuff that we talked about on yeah. uh, about how to deal with imposter syndrome? Yeah, and then. And I just kind of want to have one last sort of thing oh, just sure. to interject to that because I think it's really important just when you said like, you know, the resources online, right? So here's the thing. I tend to actually, when I find a method that works for me, I sort of accidentally, right, I kind of devalue all the other methods. And I think I did that earlier when I said, oh, well, all of these articles have these strategies. So technically these are good strategies, right? And a lot of them I even teach to my clients. I mean, empirically speaking, they work. So it's just that for me, this is what worked, which is why I was like, oh, black and white. If my strategy works, these are garbage. No, that's fair. So, yeah, I mean, just to say, they work, right? So if you're going to look into the strategies about, like, let's say, kind of, you know, quelling the sort of feelings of imposter syndrome or whatever it is, like, right, you know, kind of the anxiety, the, the sadness. See yeah, what those works are the, Yeah, yeah. Those are actually really good resources. And, like, especially when it comes to kind of cognitive restructuring, those are actually really, really good resources. Um, there were certain things that you said that I resonated with. Like, for example, uh, where your focus is, yeah. uh, for instance. Like, um well, not in relation specifically to imposter syndrome. I feel bad now. Uh, it was more to the sex thing. I actually think that that's connected, though. Yes. No, 100%. If, if it's I just not, kinda, 
You know what it is? It's not that, like, if even if the person doesn't feel like an imposter, there's the fear that they're going to be exposed as an imposter. So it's like, let's say if I cannot, and this is sort of like, this is really predominant in a male-dominated society where I have to pleasure my woman to prove my manhood. So here's the thing, right? If I'm a real man, you know this, right? No, so I just like Yeah, it. yeah. So that's how it is. No? So like, think about it, right? So we have this conception of masculinity, right? Yeah. So, and if masculinity embodies literally being strong, being powerful, being assertive, pleasuring your wife, right? taking care of your family, right? Then essentially, if you miss any of these five qualities, then you're not a real man. So therefore, the fear is being exposed as an imposter. So even if, let's say, the person doesn't consciously think, oh my God, I'm an imposter, right? The anxiety is that I'm going to prove either to my wife, to myself, or some combination that I'm an imposter. So one way or another, I mean, there's the fear, again, standards, right? So in one, st in one case, academically, there's the fear that I'm not smart, I'm not intelligent. In the case of sex, it's I'm not a man. I'm not a real man. So if I can't pleasure my wife, then what the hell am I? Mm, yeah. I see. Well, then, um, then yeah, then back to the resources for it. Um, again, if there's uh, something that you particularly resonate with, yeah, go go for it. I understand. Yeah, there there are these articles like five strategies for how to overcome yeah. imposter syndrome, and maybe like one of them is something that you could relate to. Go with that. Whatever works. Honestly, um, a lot of things that helped me uh, change like how I think about the world and um, in terms of uh, doing this podcast and like different concepts I've learned about, a lot of it's from online, uh, from yeah. just pure curiosity. And uh, I definitely encourage you to look it up and see for yourself uh, uh, what works for you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think also in addition, we would love for you guys to comment below in the YouTube section. Let us know when you guys have felt like an imposter. Or even better, let us know when you felt like an imposter and what helped you, if ever, like to overcome it. Wow, that's mm. awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that please. Um, also, yeah, subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. Follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Instagram and Facebook and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Yeah, and then also follow our homies at O4L Online. Those are the outlaws and obviously our, our guy Vegas. So check him out and you can check out Vegas at Vegas Media Designs at Instagram. Oh yeah, and shout out to one of our top commenters. Uh, there's a, I believe on the, not the last episode, the one before that one. It was a Wazi for a month. So shout out to you. And yeah, thank you guys. See you guys next time. See you for episode 10.